0: In year seven, uh, Wi-Fi is producing a series of in-depth reports on three particular groups within the multiple needs population. This report focuses on the experiences of offenders while they've been on a Wi-Fi journey of support. What we wanted to do with this report we'd had some insights from the previous evaluations of Wi-Fi that indicated that who go to prison whilst they're on their Wi-Fi journey have worse outcomes and are also that the a lot more public money is spent on them. And we wanted to really try and unpick uh, in the data and in people's experience if there were any common factors, what those might be, uh, and whether we can make some recommendations to address those in the long term uh, through system
1: change. The report makes for impactful reading. However, it does more than simply reinforce what we already know about the way we continue to fail those with multiple and complex needs. Instead, it offers practical ways we can take this cohort off the too hard to do pile and reverse the status quo by putting them at the top of our list of priorities.
0: The main key messages have come out of our work. Uh, There's uh, over a quarter of the people in the Wi-Fi population, that's around 230 people, are what you might call high intensity users of the criminal justice system. They get arrested a lot, they spend a lot of nights in prison, and they return to prison uh, the most often in the population as a whole. And really, it's a group that recirculates from custody to imprisonment, release to crisis and back into custody again. And that was that's one of the one of the themes that comes out of the data when we've when we've looked into the data in more depth, and we've done this with our colleagues in uh, Newcastle, Gateshead, and with, in Nottingham, we've really got to unpick what's quite a complex relationship between victimhood and offending, and find the right support through that that kind of difficult relationship. I think when you look at the offenses people are recalled to custody for and the offenses that have been committed against them then it's hard not to feel a certain amount of um, righteous indignation at the kind of the fact that their victims are far more serious offenses than the offenses that they commit and that has a knock on effect in in terms of people's response to the services in the criminal justice system and their attempts to rehabilitate people, people's people's capacity to be rehabilitated. I think that's one of the things that comes through. And one of the things that happens in that cycle of crisis, custody, release and crisis, is that every time people come out of, of custody, their choices are reduced, their options are reduced, the s- a number of services that can support them is reduced. So they're, they're kind of experiencing a, a kind of gradual exclusion and hardening of exclusion from services and that actually reduces their willingness to engage and really affects their mental health but also their physical health and that forces them back into kind of unplanned use of crisis services which as we've already kind of demonstrated in the, the overall evaluation, that, that that's not an effective way of kind of trying to meet the needs of people. So those are the, those are the kind of three three key areas that we've picked up.
2: We looked at um, a lot of different external reports and briefings, such as the hard-edged report that looked at multiple needs and its effects when you have severe multiple disadvantage. And we also brought in different reports we um, using the women's report, like the Causton report, because um, we wanted to bring in all the stuff that we found on women who are offenders in the same way to really drive that message. We also looked at the LAMI report, which was a government report that looked at the treatment of diverse communities in the criminal justice system and the, represent, the representation that they hold so even though black and minority ethnic groups represent 14% of the population in the youth justice system they represent 41% of that population which just really showed the stark inequalities that ethnic minority groups face.
0: What's, what's interesting about Doing a piece of work like this is that we started out with a perspective, if you like, that we knew that this was a kind of disproportionately affected group within the Wi-Fi population. And we kind of always known that it's not until we've got to the end of the project that we've actually had the volume of data to analyse and to be able to separate a group out within, within the whole Wi-Fi population that's big enough to draw any kind of to draw some more general conclusions from. That's one thing. Uh, I think the second thing is that when we've got that, when we've got a group that we can look at, we've been able to take a random sample and do a deep dive into their case notes to understand the components of the the, the Wi-Fi journey. The data tells you what people's outcomes were. What Services they use and some of the, uh, the sort of the demographic, the kind of factual stuff. But what the, what looking at the case notes does is it, re- it tells you how those things fit together with, and how they're sequenced which is really important to understand, to help understand experientially what someone's journey looks like and what factors uh, impact on their decisions at key, key points and what factors impact on their ability to successfully engage as well we started off really looking for patterns and looking for kind of deeper understanding. Looking at the data, one of the standout things was when we compare the use of, of services that weren't in the criminal justice system. So the use of things like uh, physical and mental health services, drug and alcohol, and the number of times people have been evicted. That was, And we compared the, the two groups in the Wi-Fi population, what stood out for me really was the proportion of people who'd been evicted, which in the mainstream Wi-Fi population was 11%. But when we looked at the group in the who are high-intensity criminal justice service users, uh, for women it was 40% of them had been evicted, and for men it was 50%. That uh, was a complete, that was a real, that was a bit of a revelation. Knowing that, when we went to look into the case, into the case notes, we're kind of a bit of alert to the whole issue of people's accommodation and their housing and the role that that played. And that's why in the recommendations that we make recommendations about housing and housing pathways, because it was really clear that the insecurity of people's accommodation, that, that the fact that they were placed in a, an accommodation that wasn't suitable from their point of view actually just led to them being evicted and led to incidents that in turn led to them returning to custody. The fact that when each time somebody comes out, their choices are reduced, their choices in where they can live are reduced. They've been through the kind of hostile accommodation and temporary accommodation and they've exhausted the circle of friends and family who will accommodate them and they're left in um, more and more precarious position, where they become more uh, anxious and more afraid, and they react to this in ways in which leads them to get evicted again or have more conditions put on them which they find harder to meet and then they end up in a situation where they're back in custody again.
2: Well in in terms of the deep dive stuff I think it it was the housing that kind of stood out for us which you have commented on and that just making their recovery be pushed back and it was that that you needed for them to then go into drug services and into recovery. And we invited Mez to do some peer research as well that kind of pointed us in the right direction about what to look at and um, with who she interviewed, who were network members.
3: Yeah, so, we, um, so we've so we got us network meetings and with some of the members, Mark had done um, like a, a list of sort of questions and sort of background to talk about. So we met um, in the park and then I did some telephone interviews with some of them as well and went through these questions, yeah, it was informal, and, and we got some good insight into... I, I, quite, liked, I quite liked the insight of the... Because we talked about the background and childhood and like stuff that come up, it was quite significant that stuff had come up where they started rebelling and committing crime and getting into addiction, so I thought that was quite interesting.
2: I think um, the stuff that you found in your offending interviews and focus groups... Was, is really useful for our next report because a lot of them told um, which is on young people because a lot of them told the stories from when they were little and their family yeah. background yeah. and how what it was like for them growing up and maybe what led, led them into offending so I think that would be really useful to kind of reflect upon in the young people's report as well.
3: Yeah, I found that quite interesting when they were talking about the backgrounds and the childhood. Most of them had, had some had some event that had sort of triggered, you know, their path that, that they carried on with. And I mean, not not in all cases, because, you know, some people come from loving homes and they don't, you know, they still get into addiction and crime and stuff like that. So it's not in all cases, but in a lot of them, there was significant childhood stuff.
2: Yeah. And I think they, all of them suffered some sort of trauma. And mm. um, like even even if they had come not from a particular, uh, you know, a as troubled background, they still had some sort of trauma or mental ill health that they were dealing with yeah. that made them to feel that they had to offend and felt like they were pushed down that route and there wasn't really a way out for them.
3: I think a lot of people with mental health problems and addiction problems self medicate.
0: It's actually one of the one of the other things when you're reading the case notes, you realise how much that self medication, particularly with alcohol, is the Cause of an event that they end up back in custody for an offence they've committed when they're intoxicated. It's classic public order stuff, you know. It's shouting and arguing in the street or fighting or you know, drunken disorderly.
3: And I think another thing that came out was with the mental health and addiction. I say, like, for for example, if they've been intoxicated, that they're not getting that uh, the correct treatment for the mental health and and they're seen as like a criminal instead of, like, actually addressing
2: the actual problems... And that just meant that the people that worked for the police were just repeatedly seeing the people that you interviewed because they didn't really understand the mental health that they were dealing with and where they could point them and what services were available for them to go to and where they really needed to be. And that goes back to
3: training again, doesn't it? Training and lack of funds and stuff like that for people to be aware of this stuff. Yeah, definitely.
1: Until. You have experienced how it feels to receive a service. I don't think you can really understand how it impacts on you as a person. And the majority of us who develop commission and deliver services have not had to deal with the substantial challenges which those with multiple and complex needs face.
0: We've broken the recommendations down into three sections, really. One is about improving services in the here and now for people who experience multiple needs and that's a bit about what's delivered and a bit about how it's delivered as well particularly things like multi-agency working using common assessments common risk assessments and looking at community-based alternatives to custody and the provision of sustainable accommodation for people so based on what we've already said that's probably not a not a massive surprise I think the thing about community-based alternatives to custody is that navigators did really well on a few occasions was that they were able to attend court with a beneficiary. And because they'd been able to brief the beneficiary's legal team and talk to the probation officers, the legal team were able to talk to the judge and explain that there was additional consistent support there for the person and in some cases managed to get community-based sentences instead of custodial sentences for the beneficiaries. So that was really an achievement. And I think for the purposes of the, the kind of the Wi-Fi population, beneficiary population, it would be really advantageous to see more of those kind of services available in the community, particularly for women. So the The second area of recommendations is in terms of strategic leadership, and really this is about pushing through culture change and system change in organisations that are working with people who experience multiple needs in West Yorkshire. And actually trying to use the organisations that work across West Yorkshire to lead and coordinate some of this. So we're looking particularly at the integrated care system, which is the West Yorkshire and Harrogate Health Partnership, the West Yorkshire Housing Network, the Office of the Police and Crime Commissioner and Public Health Directors. And also, of course, the voice of lived experience, bringing that into those arenas as well. And the, the kinds of things that we we really want to see them doing in terms of culture change is looking at that kind of interrelationship between victimhood and perpetrator and actually trying to approach people with multiple needs from a perspective that understands both sides of that coin to look at the way in which services are delivered and designed so that's the workforce and the training element that mes alluded to really want to see a much wider variety of agencies taking a a trauma-informed approach to individuals care and I think we want to take a public health approach.
2: One section of the report actually talks about how um, gang crime should become a public health issue and we incorporated that to show how it's kind of everyone's responsibility to make sure that crime and offending is it's a society thing it's like a whole it's the whole society approach that Is often mentioned, like I hear mentioned in our sector. So I think through recommend through our recommendations of making offending a public health approach, it means that services can work together. It can reduces that that punishment and blaming and changes the culture and wants people to put time and energy into investing in people to make sure that they they're not re-offending and make everyone healthier really.
1: I think the report provides the evidence and understanding which a public health approach requires. It not only gives us an insight into the way people with multiple and complex needs could be better supported moving forward, it also helps I think to understand how they've reached this point in their lives, which empowers us to get upstream and break the cycle for others.
0: What's interesting is that we've been able to work productively with a large proportion of people in the wi-fi population but what's evident is that there are people with quite high levels of need and complexity that have been revolving around the system for a number of years and they're they're subject to a lot of conditions so that they're subject to regular visits to the probation officer in housing that's heavily supported and quite supervised they've they're probably on daily pickup for uh, substitution treatment methadone script they've got appointment regular appointments at the job center uh, they're subject to welfare conditionality so they've so they've got all these they've got all these requirements but they they don't actually seem to get any better they're, they're, they're not physically better not mentally any better and they then end up back in crisis and you do you are left wondering you know what the role is of 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 the of the people in the in the agencies to kind of spot that deterioration but because it's not their det- you know it's not their thing that they never really get called out in conclusion the the issues that we've been talking about and much much more is uh gone into in detail in the report, which I urge you all to, to read and engage in a dialogue with us about the, about the findings and the recommendations.
1: Along with our other sources of evidence, I'm keen to use the report to influence how the New Look Probation Service commissions its services. And of course, we continue to encourage local providers to consider the navigator model as the best way to link service uh, providers with service users and fill the gaps between the two. The report is sitting on our website and we have shared it with all of our partners that we work with, encouraging them to use it as they develop their service offer. We could save money and save lives, as well as reducing crime and the fear of crime. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. It's been a really interesting piece of work.